This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for September 14th, 2018. In this week's episode, how safe is the Mac App Store? Several apps were recently found to be accessing private user data and sending it to far-off servers. We'll have the details. Plus, new iPhones and Apple Watches were announced at Apple's recent special event. And how to tell if an online article is real, fake, or spam. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Hey, Josh, are you planning to break out your credit card at 12 midnight California time? Absolutely. Yes, I am in desperate need of an iPhone XS. Desperate? Yeah, well, you know. I, Did I, you lose your iPhone? or? <laughs> I mentioned last week, I think, that I, I have an iPhone 8. Well, that's my, that's my day job phone, I guess you could say. And so that's the phone that people call me on when there's a technology emergency or whatever. And my main phone, my personal phone, is an iPhone 6. And it's just slow, and I can't stand using it anymore. So you've got two phones. I bet you're going to be happy to get one of these dual SIM phones. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, a couple of people at my day job asked me about that. They're like, hey, so are you going to get a dual SIM or one of these eSIM things? The, the reason that for me that probably doesn't make any sense is that if there is ever a situation where for work-related things, if there's some sort of like audit or something or they need to check for evidence, then they would be taking my personal phone, which also has other things that are completely unrelated to work. So Right. Okay. So it's better to have, to have two phones. So you're going to get the XS or the XS Max? I, you know, I, I don't want the 10s Max. I, I feel like the Max is a little bit too big still for me. Um, I, I like something that can fit in my hand a little bit better. And so the, the 10S I think is probably what I'm going to go with. I looked at the 10R. Um, I think, I mean, there, there's a $250 price difference if you're looking at the bottom end, you know, the 64 gig of each one, which is enough for me. Um, I, I'm using about 40, I think, on my, my uh, 6 right now. And, um, you know, I, I feel like with the much better camera, the dual camera on the back, and also the much, much better screen, I think it's probably worth it. Especially if, if I'm paying for it over two years, Verizon has an option, 0% APR over 24 months. And so I would be paying, I think, $41 a month. And it doesn't make that much of a, of a difference when you're paying it, paying for it over that long of a, of a period of time. So yeah, 41 bucks. Heck, I can do that. Well, if I bought one, I would go for the R because I don't see the need to spend the extra 250. I have the 8 Plus, which I bought in part for the dual camera, and I found the dual camera not very useful because I have real cameras when I want to take pictures. And and as you say, 250 bucks is a big difference. Now, the Max, you're going to say 10S and I'm going to say XS every time. That way people will be able to tell us apart. The 10S Max is about the same size as my 8 Plus, but the screen is much bigger. And it's true that that's tempting, but I just don't need a new phone. So I'm going to wait until next year and see what comes out. However, I am going to buy the new Apple Watch. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I, I like the, it's not so much the larger size, but the much larger display. I'll link to an article on the Intego Mac security blog where I talk about the phones and the watches. And, and one thing that's interesting is that the display size of the two models are 32% and 35% larger than the previous ones. 
Now, there's only a two millimeter difference in the height of each one. It's gone from 38 to 40 and 42 to 44. But by making the display go closer to the edges, they've made, you know, a big difference. You remember a few weeks ago, we looked at a screenshot showing the comparison from one to the other. I think that screenshot might have been slightly over-exaggerated, but that is a noticeable difference in the size of the display. So I'm looking forward to that. Unfortunately, I was almost thinking of buying a stainless steel watch, but unfortunately, it's so expensive. I'm going to stick with aluminum. I mean, I only keep these things a year anyway, generally. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking that I'm probably still going to stick with my Series 1 Apple Watch for a while. I, I, I just feel like... For what I use it for, I don't I don't need to upgrade. For me, it's a nice to have thing. I, I don't feel like it's a necessity. Now, I do like on the Series 4 that they have some additional health-related features. Um, you can do, um, what was it, an ECG with it? An electrocardiogram, yeah. Which is uh, which is pretty cool. I mean, that's something that, um, you know, is it's uh, FDA approved and all that. That's, I mean, if that works really well, that's that's an amazingly useful feature. The only thing that I wonder is how many people are going to start doing electrocardiograms and how many false positives are going to turn out? How many people are going to run to the doctor or the emergency room because they see something and they Google it and it's like, it doesn't look like the right kind of curve that shows up on Google. And I wonder if this is the kind of technology we should be putting into the hands of you know, everyday people. A, a lot of people are talking about the ability to make non-invasive glucose monitoring. And for people with diabetes, this is really important. But it's not your blood sugar level that's going to make you freak out and go to the emergency room in most cases. Whereas an electrocardiogram is not something that the average person knows how to read. You know, the blood sugar level is a number between a low and a high, whereas an electrocardiogram is really kind of complex. So uh, I'm a little bit surprised about that. If Apple can do it inexpensively, you know, without raising the price of the watch, there are certain people for whom that's useful. But I really wonder what's going to happen. You know, I, I'm, I'm in three months, I want to see how many people are freaking out about this. The, the thing that I find more interesting is this thing that it can detect when you've fallen down and you're unresponsive for a minute and it automatically calls the emergency services. And my first thought was elderly people who fall down and hurt themselves and can't get up. And I think we all have someone in our family who's been through this. But someone I know on Twitter this morning pointed out he's epileptic and he's going to have a seizure and pass out. And that could save his life, the fact that the emergency services would be called after a minute. You know, there are the other things like some people have been wondering, would it work in a car accident? And if you remember in the presentation, Phil Shore, I think he said it can detect up to 38G, so 38 times the force of gravity, which makes me think that if a car does have an accident, there might be enough to detect it the same way as a fall. In other words, he showed all the positions of the fall, the arm movements and all that, but it could be the G-force that detects it. So imagine you're in a car accident, you're unconscious, and this alerts the emergency services. That, to me, is that that's worth the price of the watch. Right. Yeah, that's incredibly useful. Okay, in other news, true news, a lot of people question what's real and what's fake and what scams on the internet. And I wrote an article for the Max Security blog, how to tell if an online article is real, fake, or a scam. Link in the show notes. It's really worth checking out. It's kind of interesting because you and I know that we could take a, a website and copy its HTML code and make a website that looks exactly like it. So we could pretend to be a website. You know, it used to be with print that you could tell something was bogus because it was cheaply produced. Now anyone can make a website easily that looks the same as, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, or any of those sources. But it really is a useful question as to 
when you see something, how much can you trust it? It's it's a pretty complex topic. There there are things that you can do to check if it's real. So if it's a publication whose name you recognize, you know, a brand, New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, USA Today, you know, these are all brands you recognize. But you want to make sure that when the, you go to a URL, it's the right URL, that it's not usatoday.mywebsite.com or something like that. So it's worth checking the address if you have doubts. Another thing to check is whether there is a HTTPS certificate, whether it's a secure website, and in particularly an EV HTTPS certificate, which shows up green in your browser's address bar. One strategy that's really useful is to do a Google search and look for how many websites link to the website you're going to. So for instance, if you go into Google and you type link colon intigo.com, no spaces, you'll find all of the pages that link to Intigo's website. Now, if Tom Cruise sets up a website to, you know, try to scam people, he'll do it a week before, you know, in the first act of the movie, a week before he's going to use it to scam. And there won't be time for people to link to it. Google might show 25 links, if any. But when you search for links to Intego, you find, well, in my article, I took a screenshot, 412,000 results. That shows that a, a brand, a website has a presence that's been around for a long time. Josh, can you think of anything that you use to make sure what you're reading on the internet is true? I think one of the important things for people to do is to to look really closely at the address bar. And, and, and it varies depending on what browser you're using. For example, if you're using Safari, if you go into um, Safari's preferences, Safari menu preferences, and then you click on advanced, there's an option there for smart search field, and there's a checkbox for show full website address. By default, you will just see, for example, intigo.com, and it won't show you the entire address of that page that you're visiting. If you check that box, you'll see the entire website address, or more or less. You actually still don't see the protocol at the beginning, whether it's HTTP or HTTPS, although if it is HTTPS, you'll see that little lock icon to the left of the, the domain name. But taking a, look, a close look at that domain is something that is really important because a lot of sites, as you mentioned, they'll, they'll use a, a lookalike domain or a subdomain. And a lot of times people don't really understand kind of what the difference is. I've seen countless phishing sites, for example, that will be apple-com-security.html.com or something. It do doesn't look anything at all like apple.com if you're really looking closely and you know exactly what to look for, but to a novice, if they're just looking at that full address bar and they see apple something com close to the beginning, they go, oh, okay, that must be the legitimate Apple site. So you've got to be really careful about things like that and, and look closely. And if you see something that's kind of suspicious, then just be very careful about that and probably don't enter your information on that site. In the article, I also linked to a number of fact-checking sites. And, and this is really useful because, you know, you go on Facebook and people share things and it's like, it's bogus stuff. And, and this isn't just political, it's health news and it's even general news. It's a good idea if you have some doubts to go to some of these sites and say, hey, is this real or is this not? And very often, a lot of the stuff you see on Facebook will show up on these sites because so many people have asked about it and looked for it. This is a long topic, and we're not going to go into any more detail. You know, check out the article. But it is worthwhile to know that you have these tools that can help you determine whether what you're reading on the Internet is true, because a lot of people are trying to manipulate your opinion out there. 
we're going to take a break and then when we come back we're going to talk about something that's really nefarious a company has done something pretty evil with some of their apps siphoning up user data sending it to servers and josh investigated into this If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Indigo's new Mac user center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Indigo's new Mac user center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Indigo to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from intego.com today and then use the promo code intego podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's intego podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit intego.com today. So Josh, you've been doing some investigative reporting here. When I first heard about this story, I was really stunned because I don't want to criticize one of Intego's competitors, but we have to criticize Trend Micro for what they did here. What's interesting is that this story sort of as a lot of computer security stories do, there was a little bit of information that came out and then a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and then it exploded. Basically, Trend Micro has been siphoning user data and sending it to a secure server for reasons we don't know about. Josh, do tell us. First of all, how did this come to light and what has been your process in investigating this? Well, what first brought this to my attention was that uh Patrick Wardle, who we've mentioned many times, is a Mac security researcher and he has a a blog where he writes about various Apple security issues and he gave me a heads up that he was going to be publishing an article on Friday about this big thing where something in the Mac App Store was doing something that it wasn't supposed to do. And so he was kind of letting me know that this was was something that he was going to publish. So I I read his uh the preview of of his article and it was really interesting. So he mentioned even before we get to Trend Micro, there was another app This first app that Patrick wrote about was called Adware Doctor. And this was an app that was available in the Mac App Store, which, you know, generally people like us recommend that people go to the Mac App Store because that's generally a safer place to find software than just about any place else. And Adware Doctor was an app on the Mac App Store that claims to uh, claimed, I should say past tense, claimed to find malware and adware on your computer. And so you would download this app and then it would ask to be able to scan your home directory so you'd have to give it that permission and then once you authorized it to do that then it would collect all of your browsing history it would collect all of the processes that were running in the background on your computer all the apps you had open and it would bundle that up in an encrypted zip file 
and send it off to a server in China. In China, <laughs> where privacy is not really a thing. This is, this is serious Tom Cruise stuff. So the home folder is the one with the little house icon and it has your username. I thought sandboxing would prevent apps from accessing files that other apps have created or used. How can it get access to the Safari history file or the Chrome history file? Well, that's important to know because one of the things that an app can do is it can request access to anything in your home folder. And that, that's something that Apple allows developers to do. And it's specifically for reasons like this, because if something wants to scan and help you clean up something in your user directory, then that would include everything, not just your downloads, not just your desktop. You might actually want it to clean everything, including in your library folder, this hidden folder that's inside of your user directory. Well, that library folder contains a lot of sensitive things, actually, including your browser history. And uh, that was one of the things that, that this app was collecting. There are some known ways that somebody could get your password. For example, um, Chrome doesn't uh, do anything to, to encrypt your passwords. They don't require you to type in a password to unlock your Chrome browser. And so if you have passwords saved in Chrome, all somebody has to do is grab that folder, I mean, which they easily could have done, and then uh, and upload that folder, and then they put that folder on their machine in the same place, and now they've got all of your passwords unencrypted. Wait, you're saying that Chrome stores your passwords in plain text on... Yes, I, I know, this is insane. And Google knows you know, that this is a concern for some people, but their excuse has always been oh, well, you need to better protect your computer because, you know, people shouldn't be able to walk up to your computer and just steal your Chrome folder. Well, yeah, but what if somebody hacks into my computer? Then they just grab that folder and run. Indeed. This, or what if an app is able to upload that folder indiscriminately? Yeah, exactly. And this is something that could have very well happened. They didn't in this case, but it could have happened. And uh, also Firefox recently, um, they, they do require you to put in a password, but there were some researchers who found recently that the methodology that they were using or the encryption algorithm was not quite modern enough. And so if you were using a kind of weak password, there's a good chance that somebody could also get your Firefox passwords too, uh, even though those are encrypted but the Chrome thing, I mean, I, that's inexcusable that Google still does that. It's it's very possible that somebody could have stolen and there could still be an app in the app store that's doing that and nobody's found it yet. That's scary. So there were some other sneaky things that this app did as well. It ran some commands to check out what your recent searches were in the app store. It also ran a command to, to gather what processes were running, which is not something, by the way, that Apple allows. If, if a developer were to try to do this, kind of scraping what processes are running in the background on your computer, Apple blocks that. But they found a workaround, another way to do this, and they scraped it that way. So they collected all this information about you, bundled it up, and sent it to a server in China. Okay, so this is a Mac App Store app that was reviewed by Apple. How come Apple missed this? These seem to be like glaring things going on. I mean, if Apple reviews an app, I would assume that they're checking to see what data the app is both downloading and uploading. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I, I think, you know, Apple's review process, I don't think very many people know the 
particulars of what exactly they're looking for. But presumably Apple has automated processes that check for certain things. And then they also have human reviewers who kind of take a look at things. It's difficult to say how, how this passed Apple's review process, but it did. And it made its way into the App Store. Okay, so that was the first one. But it was only the first of many. Is that correct? Unfortunately, yes. It turned out that there were a number of other apps that were doing the same thing. So two of those apps were from the same developer. That developer had another one that claimed to be an anti-malware and adware app. That, that automatically is a little suspicious that they've got another app that does the same thing with a different name in the store. And then they also had something that claimed to be an ad blocker. And it was doing the same thing. It was collecting all the same data and uploading it to that same server in China. But it wasn't just this one developer. And that's where the story gets really juicy. As you mentioned, Trend Micro, which is a security company that's actually been around for 30 years. This is not some newbie or some fly-by-night. This is a, a an established, most would consider it a very legitimate security company. Um, but what they were doing, unfortunately, was basically the same thing that Adware Doctor was doing. Now, the difference, there, there's some little differences here. One is that they weren't uploading it to a server in China. Trend Micro actually issued a statement about this after they were caught. And um, they said that, well, we weren't uploading it to China. We were uploading it to a server that's based in the United States, kind of trying to excuse themselves a little bit. Right. Saying your data is still staying in the United States and not going to, you know, some unknown country with weird data protection. Laws. Yeah. Well, and of course, however, that's not necessarily, well, for really none of this is GDPR compliant at all. <laughs> because if you are an EU citizen or, or somebody who lives in that region of the world, you have certain expectations of privacy. And this is a clear violation. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what com country you're from. This is a huge violation of privacy. Because you imagine all the things that someone could find out about you just by looking at your browser history, just as a few examples. If you do a Google Maps search, okay, the address you're from and two addresses both show up in that full address that you went to. If you are searching for medical conditions, your search queries are likely going to show up in that full address as part of the query. If you're looking for a job, if you're looking for insurance, if you're looking for a loan, all of that stuff. And, and there's a lot of very... So for some people, very sensitive things like your sexual preference. If you go to a particular type of dating website, yeah. um, well, that may very well out you when you don't want to be. Yeah. And uh, so there, there's so many things like this that you can find out just by looking at somebody's browser history. So it makes me very uncomfortable to think that there were apps, multiple apps, it turns out, in the Mac App Store that were collecting this data from people, including apps from what most people would consider a very reputable company. I'd like to point out that none of Intego's apps collect that sort of data. Intego's apps do ask to collect anonymous usage data, which is just basically some information about your which type of Mac you have, et cetera. They do not upload any kind of files like this. One thing that interests me is why did it take so long for this to come out? I did a Google search for Dr. Antivirus, which is one of the apps, and on the Mac Update website, Mac Update is a site that's been around for a long time, and it kind of lists all 
sorts of apps and the latest version and has download links. I see a review from January of this year saying that this app is stealing files from your device, including browsing history. Why trend do you need our browsing history? So people were aware of this. Why did it take, I mean, obviously no security researcher is going to read every forum to find out about this, but why, if people knew about this, I would expect them to have complained to Apple or something. Why did it take so long? Well, one of the things that came out in Patrick Wardle's article was that this was something that he and the Twitter researcher had both submitted to Apple a month ago. That was regarding the, the first app that we talked about, AdWord Doctor, a month ago. They had submitted this to Apple. Apple had not taken any action. They was still in the Mac App Store until after this article was published. And then, of course, Apple pulled it. And the same things for um, these several other apps. So there was a second article um, that was also published Friday, and that was, uh, was written by Thomas Reed. And he wrote about some things that had been going on since as far back as December. One of those apps, um, which was an app published by Trend Micro, uh, was an app called Open Any Files. And this app, so a lot of these apps that claim to be able to open whatever file you want, um, they're kind of sketchy anyway, as, as we kind of, you need an app like that. <laughs> well, as we talked about recently, there, there are some odd things that these apps can do just by being on your computer. It can basically take over as the default app for a number of different types of files that you don't already have an app to open. Right. So trend micro on Monday issued a statement. And part of what they say is that these apps, and they list a whole long list of apps, collected and uploaded a small snapshot of the browser history on a one-time basis covering the 24 hours prior to installation. This was a one-time data collection done for security purposes to analyze whether a user had recently encountered adware or other threats, and thus to improve the product and service. <laughs> but that's not what they did. So, and, and if people can see that that's not what they did, why did they issue a statement that is, what's the word, false? Well, yeah, so they they updated their statement on Tuesday and, and added a section where they said, <clears throat> we believe we identified a core issue, which is humbly the result of the use of common code libraries. We have learned... Wait, 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 hold on. They're saying that they used, a lot of people use code libraries that exist sort of open source software. So they're saying that some open source software library just sort of grabbed a whole bunch of files and sent them to the Trend Micro server. You know, I'm not sure whether they were claiming that this came from a open source software or whether they were just saying, hey, we wrote this thing and we only meant to include it in our, mal you know, our malware scanning app. And we, but, but so the next thing they said is basically that they accidentally included this in all of their other apps, including Dr. Battery, which um, was something that was supposed to, to look at your battery health. Dr. Unarchiver, which was a, a file decompression utility. These are things that have absolutely nothing to do with your browser history or, you know, cleaning your computer. Okay, so wait. So what they said is we only really intended for one of our apps to scrape all your personal data uh -huh. and accidentally put this library into all of our apps. That's exactly what they're saying. And there are businesses who trust this company to detect malware and they have firewall software, I assume, you know, the whole panoply of security software. 
This sounds pretty amateur. Yeah. Well, and and so there was some speculation, and I, I don't know if this was a series of apps that maybe Trend Micro acquired, but you know, even if that's the case, the fact is that these files were actually being uploaded to a server at trendmicro.com. The the actual domain was something.trendmicro.com. So even if they acquired this company from from and and acquired these apps, there's no excuse because at some point somebody knew that these things were being uploaded. Even if that were the case, they changed the domain to something.trendmicro.com. And so somebody at Trend Micro knew about this and didn't say, hey, we need to stop. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the apps have been pulled from the App Store, but they're still listed on Trend Micro's website. What if you have the app and you don't know about this? This could still be sending data. Did Trend Micro say that they've turned off the server or what, what's, the, what's the process now? Because is someone alerting people, hey, you've got this app, it's dangerous? Also, I, we know that Apple has a kill switch that they can use so that they can send out a command that a specific app will stop working. Has Apple done this? Well, I know that Apple has said that they have a kill switch for iOS. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if they have a kill switch for macOS. If it's Mac App Store apps, they must. In any case, what about people who have the app and don't know about this? Is their data still being sent someplace? Well, I reached out to, to Trend Micro's PR person the other day and, and asked those questions. It's been about a day, and I haven't heard anything back. So they, they gave me an, an initial response and then linked to the blog post once they had put that out. And they kind of danced around the uh, one of the questions that I asked them. And so I asked them very directly. I said, okay, let me spell it out for you. This is what I'm asking. Um, is Trend Micro server now refusing to accept that zip file? So if somebody had previously downloaded the app from the Mac App Store while it was still available in the store and they run your app, is it, st I mean, it's, it's going, the, the app is designed to upload that file. So what are you doing? What is Trend Micro doing with that server? Is that server now refusing to accept zip files or is it accepting them? And it's great that Trend Micro said that they deleted all, all of the past data, but what are they doing about anything that's still being uploaded by an app that somebody still has on their machine? Okay, so in your article, you asked the big question, can the App Store be trusted? You mentioned a couple of points here. Whenever possible, stick with developers you already know. Well, a lot of people might not know Trend Micro, but you and I do. As you say, the company's been around for 30 years. They're one of the better-known security companies. Don't automatically trust excessively positive app reviews. But if no one noticed what was going on, that's not a real help either. Read the app's privacy policy. I, I doubt that they were explaining exactly what they were doing. This does raise a lot of questions. Can we really trust this stuff anymore? There, there are certain things that you can do, and that, that's pretty much the list of things that you can do to, to try to check out a developer. You can look, look up the developer, but again, in this case, it was even a reputable developer. A formerly reputable developer. <laughs> well, yes. Okay, well, Trend Micro is going to be wearing the badge of shame for a while. I think we shouldn't panic too much, but it would be really interesting to see what Apple's take is on this. If you can get some information, you know, how did they let this happen? How do they remedy it? How do they protect us in the future? This is about as bad as it can get when you think about it. Maybe they can't get credit card data or your passwords or things like that. But they, if they're uploading files, they could be uploading your emails, which are in that same library folder. 
They could be uploading your personal photos. This is scary, Josh. Yep. I think for next week, you need to come back and find out if there's anything more about this. In the meantime, if anyone has any Trend Micro apps, we do strongly recommend that you delete them. If you do use some of their other security apps that aren't on the Mac App Store, you know, I had always thought the company had a good reputation, but definitely can't recommend holding on to it. Until then, Josh, stay secure. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>